right, Simon, let's start at the beginning. You were born, and then what happened? Well, like anyone, I was born at a very early age. <laughs> and uh, I've always had um, quite a remarkable life, I suppose. Um, and by remarkable, I don't necessarily just mean good. Um, it's had massive challenges. And throughout this whole smorgasbord of life, as as we know it, uh, it has allowed me to see an element of who I who I truly am, almost like whether I like it or not. And I was actually uh, born out of wedlock. Um, my I, I, later, I found out a lot about my past when I was 33 years old. So I didn't grow up with my my story intact, if you like. I, I started to investigate and find out exactly what happened, but it, it was remarkable right from the very beginning. So my mother was part of a, a secret military program, a, a naval program. She was actually one of the, well, she was the first uh, naval aeronautics uh, engineers. And she was um, based in an organization called HMS Gamecock. Hold on a minute. Uh, so that was called, say that again. What, what was this pro program called? Aero? It was, it, well, it was based at HMS Gamecock. Uh, and it was shortly after you know, the Second World War where the, the British created almost like a, a similar form of um, Top Gun, if you like, uh, for, for the Navy pilots. And uh, she was in, in, into creating these new airframes. Um, and of course, when I investigated this in this like, well, what airframes were they looking at? You know, this was more exotic materials and things like this. And she met my father there. And I, and I think it's, um, it's bizarre because the story I'm going to tell you sometimes defies belief but then when you think about what has happened this literally in the last few days where a senior intelligence official has said yeah actually we do actually have alien species and we have alien craft and you know this yeah. has been corroborated throughout the whole of the intelligence community i think um, just 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 for the listeners right now so we are recording this on the 8th of June, 2023. And just the other day, there's an F, a former, is he a former FBI agent, whistleblower? No, no, he, he was uh, Air Force Intelligence. Right, okay, okay, all right, okay. Because I was listening to a guy who was former FBI last night and he was critiquing this guy's story, um, not in a positive light, saying, mm, I don't know if this is propaganda or if this is real, but continue on, mate. Yeah, well, I mean... We can only go with what we're told, you know, thus far. Absolutely. I mean, there are many psyops. I mean, I've been involved in many of them. So, we'll talk so about I understand, them. you know, you are going to have these foils um, coming, you know, to critique these things. Um, and it's up to us to really almost like share, create the wheat from the chaff and just to find out exactly what the, what the truth is. The truth is never going to be quite as you perceive it. And sometimes the truth is stranger than fiction, literally. Um, and that, that is certainly true with my story. So when I saw this coming yesterday and I knew that this interview was coming on, I thought, oh, my God, well, my story sounds way out of whack. Um, but now you got this guy. I'm going. Doesn't to sound so out of whack. <laughs> I'm good, you know. Um, yeah, mine thing seems quite bland can, compared to that. Uh, but anyway, so I was uh, conceived on the runway of HMS Gamecock, and and I thought that was pretty bizarre. When I did my investigation, I found out that Aria, uh, it was right now called RAF Nuneaton, and and I did an aerial photo of the old Nuneaton and the. Um, runways there's three runways and they're based in a pure triangle and i was actually 
<laughs> I was actually conceived in the middle of the of the triangle, almost like in the Illuminati eye. So it started wow. like that. Well, wow. you know? I'm, I'm sorry for interrupting again because this story is going to get deep. I'm telling you right now. I I I, I saw introduced this um, podcast saying if you're of the faint heart, don't watch this. Go and watch another one because this one's going to blow your mind. And <laughs> and this is part of your story. I didn't know, right? So you're born. Um, like what was what was the your mother was what was her, her you said aer was it aerospace something what was it the, no the, she she was an aeronautics technician aeronautics so, technician just explain aeronautics for me then just for a quick second for my my dumb I mean brain. basically it's the way that a plane flies um so, so that you know aeronautics the same as um you know how the as I understand it, because I'm not a, a technician and I'm certainly not a scientist, uh, but it's a way that the air moves over the airframe, giving lift you know, to the actual aircraft. Right. That um, part of when you look at a plane, you're like, how the fuck does that happen? Right? Yeah. How does, a seven, how does a 747 even get off the ground? Yeah, you know, that's right. Yeah. People on it and all yeah. their luggage. Right. Yeah, okay. It, so your mum, your mum is one of those technicians that enable these crafts to be built, right? absolutely that so right. so that's how i that's how i started in life um so how did you how did you come about being born on the airstrip rather than in a hospital let's say no no i wasn't born i was conceived conceived gotcha yeah gotcha. so after the after the pass out and uh, after she had graduated i think she decided that they were going to celebrate and i was the result <laughs> well that makes a lot of sense now that i know you and these stories that we're about to hear that that would be why you're so in Involved with all these mad things that go on in the world, you seem to have a, a natural understanding of them. You seem to gravitate to a lot of these, which so-called conspiracies, I suppose, looking at from the outside. But it makes a lot of sense why you gravitate to them now. Yeah. <laughs> You'll have to excuse, um, I'm living with my husky and she's got some friends over. <laughs> no worries. Then, to be yeah, honest, I, session. I can hardly hear it. I've not got earphones on, but I can hardly hear it, so don't worry about that. Yeah. It'll, they they do this every morning to greet the dawn. But what time is it in LA? Because it's like 3 o'clock in the afternoon here, but what time is it where it's, you are? It's uh, 7 o'clock in the morning. Yes, thanks for doing this nice and early, because our, our time frames are all so different, right? So at like 5 o'clock, I'm busy until 9 o'clock, you know, and then obviously anything before 3 o'clock, because I'm getting you up dead early to talk about stuff that's, that's insane. Right. That's right. <laughs> thanks so, for yeah, doing so it. This was really bizarre. I mean, obviously, during those days, um, you know, if you got pregnant within the armed forces, you, you had to leave, and uh, she had to leave. So I was then placed into a, spe a specialist mother and baby home. Uh, no one really knew who paid for that. And then uh, I ended up being adopted into another Navy family in Portsmouth in England. And and I grew up, you know, in that, that type of environment. Um, now, throughout all my life, I had mentors, mostly Royal Marine mentors. And I didn't think anything strange about this. This was just my life. I always remember their shiny boots. And, and it was always just like one guy. And I remember, you know, the patches with the Royal Marine Commando and the dagger and and, the, and putting the green beret down, you know. And I was in awe of of these people because they, they taught me things. They taught me things like values and what it meant to be a man, what it meant, you know, to growing up as, as a boy. Uh, and I know that the Jesuits have a saying, you know, give us the boy before seven, we'll give you the man. Uh, and I thought everyone had these these mentors 
so I grew up around you know the Royal Marines. I used to see them every day down in in Southsea on the beach and went to the museum there. And it just seemed pretty obvious that that was going to be my life. Um, so it it was it was just to me it was just normal. But you know I grew up knowing about tactics. You know you'd draw them out and you'd use these little. We had a game called Subutio, which was um, yeah, a little soccer game or football game, yeah. Yeah, so he used to use these little Subutio things uh, to show me small team tactics and things like this. It was actually quite quite bizarre and quite fun. So, you know, by the time I actually, you know, got into the equivalent of middle school, you know, I had a, an understanding as to the mindset of how I needed to think. Um, I was actually already pretty fit because I enjoyed being outside. I was always outside, um, always running, playing sports. But so why, also... why why the Royal Marines? Why specifically the Royal Marines do you think were the, the, the mentors that you were exposed to? Um, as a youngster? Well, I was later to find out why, because the, the basis of my training um, before I actually went into the military was based around the Royal Commando training. Royal Marine the Commando. cadets? No, no, it, it wasn't at that at all. Uh, I, I found that when I was 13 years old, I, I got gui guided into karate, which was fairly new at the time. Um, because it was only judo and boxing. That's all you had the choice of uh, back then. And um, I, you know, I tried judo. I didn't really get on with it. And then I saw this you know, karate club. And my parents at the time said, well, look, you know, you can go and do karate. That's not a problem. We'll pay for it, but you've got to get there. And it was seven miles away from my house. So, you know, it was three times a week I trained and I got on my you know, red racing bike put my gym bag on and off I went seven miles there, three hours training, seven miles back. And I did that three times a week, rain or shine, snow even. Um, and I, I became the youngest black belt in the UK. Wow. So at 16, I was a brown belt and I was really good at it because I'd never got into trouble. I was, I'd never got into a fight even. So they were making me from like whole cloth. So whenever I got into anything after that, I would just go straight into very cold technique. And I became very, very good. You know, some calling me a prodigy. Um, I was being groomed for the English uh, national team at that point uh, under Sensei Tiki Donovan, who was like one of the world champions at the time. So that was my passion. And, and I thought, well, I, you know, I'm obviously going to be going into the military. Hopefully they'll do karate there which of course it didn't. So it was going to be a choice of whether I continued a professional karate career um, and possibly even moving to the Olympics, even though there was no uh, martial arts in the Olympics at that time, uh, or to go into the military. And then, uh, so in 1975, um, I got invited by my mentor, which was Uncle Tommy, who was Royal Marines, real dyed-in-the-wool you know, <laughs> Royal Marine guy. And uh, he was just like a real uncle to me. And, and I thought he was my uncle, um, but he never turned up at family gatherings, you know, no funerals, no, no weddings or anything. Um, and it turned out, of course, he wasn't my, it wasn't blood family at all. Um, but I got him then invited to a, a selection um, and that was down at Limpston, uh, which you obviously know very well. And I went there with a whole bunch of other 15-year-olds, um, you know, all full of piss and vinegar. You know, we were all going down there from all over the country. And it was like a hundred of us met 
there uh, into the big hangar. What year was this, Simon? Yeah. What year was this then? You're 15, but 19, what year is that? 1975. 75, right. Yeah, you said that. Okay. Yeah. I'm three years so, old at that point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, rub it in. Anyway, so there was no courses on. It was the the camp was, you know, pretty much empty. Um, so we went in there and yeah, we had the brief, and um, got off the train at um, Limston Commando, and everyone was yelling at us and, you know, getting onto a four tonner, and then everyone said, "Get off the fucking!" <laughs> and now the four tonner's going on, and we're running behind it and. <laughs> going past the Puffing Billy pub and doing choo-choo things, you know. So the guy's coming out of the pub and laughing at us. He's probably seen that a million <laughs> times. And then they got us onto the truck, you know, to, when we got to the main road. I think they didn't want us running around on the main road. So, uh, yeah, we got in and had the brief. And literally within a couple of minutes, I'm I'm there in in, in these horrible shorts and plimsolls, and I've I've got this dayglow vest on. You know, we all had um a, a three three numbers, and mine was zero three three. That was my number from from there on. And three three is a very significant number in my life. And uh, next thing you know, it's like right, go go touch the wall, come back, and do it many many times. <laughs> yeah. And after that, it was down at bottom field. You know, running around and going, great! It's a Tarzan course. This is this is going to be awesome, um, but it wasn't to be. We just ended up doing, you know, Tabata. And I thought, eight minutes, I can deal with this. Eight minutes, I can cruise this. Eight minutes later, I'm puffing and sweating and swearing and having the bad time. People are collapsing. People are throwing up, and it just went on. Uh, went on for three days. Um, we had this little. Marine Sergeant PTI, you know, Staff, Staff Morris, his name was. And uh, he was a Scottish guy. And he, he was just like, he sounded very much like you. In fact, he did live in Glasgow. We used to call him the Poison Dwarf because he was like <laughs> a short, stocky guy. He's like, he was carved out of stone. But when he spoke, it was like you were being, you know, verbally assaulted. You know, you felt it go all through the bones of your body. So uh, <clears throat> we endured this. <clears throat> You know, within the first couple of days, people were dropping out um, and they started lobbing flashbangs into our accommodation to wake us up. And then we had to go and do things like uh, there was a Royal Marine Land Rover and the guy, you know, Poison Dwarf said, right, I want you to take it down the end of the the prey ground there and then change the wheel, bring it back. And there was this little red sticker on one of the tires, brought it back didn't like that wanted it on the other side so i had to take it all the way back come back again and then he want, wanted it the way that it was in the first place and yeah so it just got really full on and then uh, we started getting assessment i realized then that a lot of the uh the, the staff were holding clipboards and i didn't know what they were looking for and that's what uncle tommy said he said look there's you know these the things that you need to hold on to you know uh your honor and your word and your fucking tongue, <laughs> you know, he said, just, just don't say a thing. Just, you don't know what they're looking for. So just be yourself, you know, just, just go for it. You, you can't game the system, you know? So you might think that you're the best thing since, since fucking sliced bread, but there's always going to be someone battling you and you just need to get, you know, out of yourself, you know, and just uh, do your best. And that was that. So we went through and um, yeah, there were like these competitions, well, I say competitions, there are obviously evaluations, uh, pull-ups, sit-ups, 
you know, all of that I could do, you know, and then rope climbs and, you know, cargo nets, all of the normal stuff. You know, we're wet, we're dirty, we're muddy, we're going in, we're getting like two hours sleep and then we're getting up again. And it was, and I thought it was quite fun, really. You know, I mean, as a, as a young fit boy, you know, it's all adventure. You're thinking, oh, great, I'm going to be a, I'm going to be a commando. This is awesome. This is awesome. Anyway, so... <clears throat> I mean, at the first brief, this you know, captain, Captain W, you know, he said, look, he said, look, he said, half of you are, are, are going to fail this. He said, so just take a look left and right and see who's going home. You know, that was that was the initial brief. And then at the end, um, they called us all to order. We didn't see him throughout the throughout the three days. And then when he came back, they split us into three groups. And then, you know, they said, right, you know, A, B and C, one, two and three go to the groups and i got put in group three um but one of the guys that was with me um i kevin he was he was just like awesome and uh he was put into group one and i thought you know we're, we're both equivalent he was just his boxer and i thought well what's going on here and uh our group there was only about i think it was about eight of us and uh they, they said right uh group one um you've been selected for the next uh ctrm tra training um collect your joining instructions on the way out congratulations gentlemen and off they get and walk out and i'm going what what the fuck i was fucking great i was like i came in like number five and i'm going what the hell is going on here and i'm, I'm looking at kevin and kevin's going you know so off off they go and they say group two stand up and group two said you haven't been selected um thanks for your contribution gentlemen uh this is where your royal marine career stops you know and, and that was the same for group three. And I'm going, oh, what the fuck am I going to tell Tommy? You know, I'm going, I failed. I failed at the first fucking hurdle. I was devastated, you know. And um, so off group two went. So I'm just sitting around looking at with these guys and we're going, what, what did we do? Anyway, so, you know, Poison Dwarf comes and goes, right, gentlemen, with me. And we went into this room and... Uh, then there was his SAS warrant officer there. And uh, he said, right, before we start, gentlemen, he said, uh, this is what's going to happen. He said, when you see a person such as I wearing a white armband with a yellow triangle, he said, uh, that person will engage you like so. Yeah. And he said, look at me. And he said, and he'll give you a pre-briefed um, pre code word. And you'll then know that this is real you know and then you know when to stop he said some of the training is going to be unconventional and we need you to be able to know when to stop it so we're now really confused because you know we're thinking well you know we failed what's going on here and he said right he said how many of you now are feeling pissed off <laughs> everyone puts up their hand you know and he said yeah he said well he said no disrespect he said but you guys are going to be wasted just doing conventional Royal Marine training. He said, uh, "You maybe should you choose it to be on a on a different path." And then the guy from the Ministry of Defence came in. Uh, he said, "Congratulations, gentlemen, you passed pre-selection." Uh, he said, "You're you will not be joining the Royal Marines unless you choose to, you know, do another path." But he said, "You'll be under the command of the Army." He said, "We're looking for specialist troops." He said, "You have been selected for this, and you'll have a full brief." I uh, said, "This is a top secret brief. Yeah, you will be required to um, join the uh, 
if you know to sign the official secrets act uh, so we're all now really really confused and and what what really got into my mind was was well this wasn't a normal type of training is that when we did the the final beasting it was just it was as, as if it was designed to break us i mean it was literally running to the to the wall throwing tennis balls and there was le less tennis balls each time and then you had to do you know press up sit up you know you know the drill and people were throwing up and then eventually i was down to the last five and when they eventually i just could not move i just physically could not move i was crying i, I think i'd pissed myself I was just in bits and then they're dragging me off and I'm trying to fight them. And I'm going, Oh, I want to stay. I want to, I want to win. And, and he's they're just saying, give it up, just give it up. 33, give it up, you know? And then, then they took me into this room and it was this blonde plastic chair and a, and a desk in front of me with a, some papers and a pencil. And they said, right, answer as many questions as you can. You got 20 minutes, go. Oh, fuck. I can't, I can't even stand. I can't, I can't even pee now, you know. So I just got the pen. I, I understood, um, you know, with martial arts about energy and flow and all this. So I, I literally put my thumb on the uh, on the pencil, the sharpened pencil, and pushed it as hard as I could, which like released this adrenaline into my body. And then I started, and I realized what they were doing. You know, they were no matter how fit you were, they wanted to exhaust you before they gave you the test. So it was, I was being this dumbass by going, by pushing it further and further, you know, just out of ego. Um, but that's what they wanted to do. They just wanted to totally exhaust you. And then they're giving so, you all these mental problems. So how many of you were in group three? Uh, eight of us. So out of the hundred, they've selected eight of you to put you through this yeah. continuation of a new selection. Yeah. A, and how many got... All right, keep on going. How many got through that? No, you're 15 years old, right? Yep. That's insane. I know, right? And then I found out that this was being done in other countries as well. You know, so it turned out to be a, to be an operation, um, which was um, UKI's only um, top secret classification called Operation Trident. Um, we were sworn to secrecy. Um, you know, it was just... You know just the way it was um and that we knew that we we're going forward for a, a different selection but we were going to be in the armed forces um so so you know so they were looking for different types of people and then i found out later that this selection was even more more select if you like uh because we all had certain things in common um with the so you know it was it was a weird thing but it was being run by the ministry of defense i don't know if it's being run now uh, but we certainly weren't the first and i later found out that the americans had a system um and so did the french and so did the russians so this this went like a little bit above you know the normal way of so let's put it in a perspective then so this is this is during the cold war then isn't it so the whole oh yeah tactical yeah. systems different i'm three years old right so i mean this is totally beyond me i joined the marines at 16 off went on my commando journey but you're 15 you've kind of grown up around the military from a naval family you've you've gone for your selection to be in the, the royal marines and they've handpicked you and put you over there towards well, in your pre-selection towards a career in the military is that it then you're in the military from here on 
Uh, not quite, uh, because you had to go through the rest of the selection process. Um, but I, I later found out that the, the British used the Royal Marine Commando template, if you like, of selection, um, whereas the French unit used the Foreign Legion selection process. Yeah. So they were taking established uh, recruitment processes and putting us through there in the downtime when the normal courses weren't going on. And I imagine yeah. that Americans would have done probably a similar thing at Bragg. Or, For sure, yeah. Uh, so I'm thinking to myself, my, my mind is spinning. I didn't know these stories. I think maybe I know a little bit about these stories, but it's not retained over the years. So I'm thinking to myself, right, it's the Cold War. They're recruiting young. They're 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 starting to look out for who can we who can we mold who can we groom yeah. who can we give because I know when I, like I said to you many many times and we did it when we were preparing the commando makeover quite similar to the SAS who days wins program isn't it yeah. like we sort of created that as a as concept to do for people using the commando spirit the commando mindset yeah. because one we thing do that what works. Right, yeah. we can we I mean, can have it's a tried and tested method. You when know? did we when did we get together? Maybe two thousand and ten. And we were like I, yeah. speaking, like we were talking like this, and I was saying to you, right, there's one thing that I learned, joined the Marines at 16, I came out of the Marines at 24, and for the rest of my life, I was like, they brainwashed me into thinking like an elite person. And my standard of fitness is elite, my professional mindset is elite. You know, I can I can give that to boxers, I can give that to clients and give them an opportunity to experience this elite thinking process, which comes from the commando spirit. Which doesn't surprise me then if you've a, a a force of a selection using that template because I've said to you many many times, the marine Royal Marine Commando mindset needs to be taught to the population, not necessarily so they can go fight, but so they have good ethos, so they have bravery, courage, determination, class. Yes. That's what that's what civilian life is missing that. And I believe also well, that... what I found unique about the, the the Royal Marine selection, it's different to all you know obviously the conventional army because they're looking for different types of people. But mm -hmm. and and it's different to to SAS selection as well, you know, which is looking for specialist soldiers. Um, whereas the Royal Marines, you see, that it's a unique unit because they're always going to be in adverse conditions. They're, they're not going to be fighting on a conventional battlefield. That's not how you use Marines. You know, you use them in Norway or you. You know, you land them on beaches. It's always really unconventional warfare. So you have to have people that can think unconventionally. You know, that can actually yeah. solve problems that are not just problem going to solving. I think it's, it's based around problem solving, isn't it? Sure, yeah. the heightened level of fitness, but everything is about problem solving. And I think that's pretty much the 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 the, diff the difference between a marine commando, Royal Marine commando, is they're literally problem solvers more yeah. than anything else. Well, it was it started obviously a lot of this stuff that we're talking about, even with like the UFO stuff, all started after the Second World War. Because before that, I mean, the Marines have been around since the 1600s. They were yeah, just soldiers that just were yeah. on, on board ships, you know. Yeah. Um, but it all changed with the combined arms commando units, you know, at the raid of Dieppe and all of this type of thing. You know, there, there was this need in the Second World War for advanced soldiers that could actually, you know go in and take positions before the conventional... It's like know, a, a kind of guerrilla warfare, wasn't it? You know, yeah. that's basically that what the commander was. You know, how the commandos were born, you know, and you think of the Sykes training and all this type of stuff. 
so uh so that's basically how it happened and of course i'm now being born into this my mother was born in i think it was 1938 so she grew up during the war mm-hmm. um so so you're coming into this environment where we've gone from a, a normal conventional war against you know the, the axis powers now we're coming into this cold war where now there's nuclear weapons now mm-hmm. the, the whole game of warfare has has changed quite dramatically um so i know that the russians were looking at at different um, things on the intelligence side of things uh in regards to how they were processing information uh during that time of course after the second world war in in america you had the uh, remote viewing people as well i mean the russians were taking psychics off the streets and killing them using their brains to try and you know create guidance systems you know so there's a lot of really weird stuff that was going mm. on mm. what we found with this very small group from there as we were talking it turns out that you know because i think this guy was a boxer he was in stepney uh, in london um didn't have a, a, a father there you know grew up in a single parent family and then i'm talking to another guy and he was an orphan and another guy was like me he was an adoptee and i'm going do any of us have, have parents mm-hmm. and that no, didn't so right. all of us were orphans or all of us or uh, adoptees all of us bar that's none. really interesting yeah so it turned out that you know these this unit that they were looking for they wanted people that you know if we went missing no one was really going to be bothered you know as much you yeah know, we didn't have yeah. blood family you know so and then but there, there was so many other and, and all of us were really good at something my thing was was karate you know uh, martin and kevin they were they were boxers really i mean could have been professional boxers um one guy was just his absolute whiz on Basically, it was like computer science. I mean, computers were like these things that only had a green screen at that point. And, um, you know, but he seemed to know about this stuff, which we didn't. So all of us had some form of of specialization. So anyway, I thought that was that. I went back home, carried on with my karate, um, got a gold medal in the Southeast Championships. So I was being groomed at that point for, for the British team and thought nothing more of it um and then uncle tommy turns up at one of my sessions he's in there he's in his brown suit uh he'd been to church it was on, on a sunday and uh he started t- you know telling me about what we we're going to do and um and i said oh i passed and he went you haven't passed shit boy he said you have no idea what's coming at you he said all you did was get get selected he mm-hmm. said so you know don't don't get too up yourself you know uh, so I said, well, what do we do now? And he said, he said, you ever heard, he, he said, you know, the gun run, right? I went, yeah, of course. And I know, of course I know the gun run, you know? So the gun run for the people that are you know, listening to this that don't know, it's a, it's a yearly competition between Devonport and Portsmouth. And it goes back to a time in the Boer war where the, the Navy, uh, had to bring field guns on to relieve the, the siege of one of the big cities. Um, which one it was. Um, it's a long name anyway. Um, but anyway, they, they had to break down the guns and take them over these various different things, put them back together again, and then they laid down fire. And it, it's, uh, and, and basically it uh, saved the city, saved um, you know, the, the South Africa in the Boer War. So after that, they had this competition where, and it's really the, the only really elite thing that the Navy has. I mean, 
you know, with the US Navy, of course, they have the Navy SEALs. Um, the British Navy don't have anything quite like that. So their elite thing, if you want to really push yourself, is the gun run. And the selection is brutal. Training is brutal. People lose fingers. It's, it's full on. It really is. So uh, anyway, Tommy knew the guy at HMS Excellent um, who ran the gun, uh, the gun run called uh, Ray Dryden. And uh, he said, look, we're going to put you for three days with these guys and just learn how teams work together. He said, because these guys, you know, are, are, the, are the boys, you know. Uh, so, you know, he took me down there and, and again, he's there with his big polished boots and white putties and, you know. He said, you volunteered for this? Are you fucking kidding me? He said, he said, we often get kids like you, you know, come in, want to have a look at this. He said, but he said, just uh, do your best. He said, but, you know, whatever. You know, if you want to give up, that's fine. And he said, so change into your kit. And he said, go down, go down to the beach. And there's a big beach at the back of HMS Excellent, muddy beach. He said, you'll find a whole bunch of people there, dirty, sweating, swearing, and not, and not having a good time, you know? So I off I went, ran down there, and uh, they're looking at me, going, "Who's this guy?" And uh, that was that for the next three days. I was running around with these guys because I was young and 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 small. They uh, they put me in the the section called speedies, so the speedy bullets. So uh, I had to run the ammunition. I was like, if, you know. That'd be like a powder monkey. <laughs> so I didn't get to play with any big field guns. You know, I just wasn't, I don't know, I wasn't that strong enough. Um, but yeah, they gave me these uh, canisters that I could run around with and stuff like that. It made me feel good. And are you still and, 15 at this age? You're yeah. still 15? Wow. Yeah. But I was really fit, you know, I yeah. mean, I was really, really yeah. fit. Yeah, yeah. So so they, you know, they, uh, I forget what the actual motto is there, but it's something like, um, it's not to infinity and beyond. That's, uh, mm -hmm. that's, that's, like yeah but it's something to do it's, it's it's too like you know the end and and beyond more yeah it's, it's about going beyond to the limits and beyond that's right to the limits and beyond um and i i got to understand what that actually meant what these guys would go through and these were like normal normal sailors but they they saw something in themselves which was so remarkable that needed to come out that the normal navy didn't prepare them for or didn't allow them to do and i think this is a, a, a human thing when you know and you you spoke about it before you know when you live in a you an, an elite mindset when you live in an environment that demands um an elite mindset not only of you but all the people that are around you you that has to be fulfilled and, mm -hmm. and you will find ways of doing it some people run marathons some people climb mountains wh whatever floats your boat yeah military you know you're you're encapsulated in a very very small ordered way of doing things and the navy very rightly had this as an outlet and some of these people were the most remarkable people i'd, I'd ever met uh, all young guns but they were just so committed to what they did yeah in a big respect and um you know i got given one of these canisters uh at the end because they didn't give up after three days they they said, well, you, you're never going to run the gun run, but you can at least take a bit of the gun with you. <laughs> That's so awesome. Yeah, yeah. So so that was good. And, um, you know, I went out and there was Uncle Tommy in this little blue Hillman imp waiting for me, you know, and he spoke to Dryden and he came back. He said, well done, you know, good. No, no accolades, no pats on the back. And what well on, you know, next. 
Yeah. Uh, and I said, well, what, you know, what are we, what is next? He said, next is your, your evaluation, you know? So this is what you're going to be doing next. And he said, it's going to be a place called Caution. I went, what's Caution? He said, he said, well, he said, that's where you're going to get truly evaluated, the truly unpack your brain, find out what's there and what's not there. Uh, so the next thing you know, I'm going to this place called Caution, never, Basil Hill Barracks it was. And Basil Hill Barracks was next to a place called RAF Rudlow Manor. And I later found out that Rodlow Manor was like the intelligence hub for the Royal Air Force for uh, the Battle of Britain. So everything would come into as a super secret base. And it later, during the Cold War, became like Britain's Area 51. Okay, So Basil Hill Barracks, they had a part of that, which was looking at all sorts of weird stuff. So I'm thinking, Ingebert, but didn't my, well... You know, so later on, when I started putting all this together, I'm now seeing my mother being involved in exotic airframes. And now I'm at this place called Basil Hill Barracks, which is air, you know, the equivalent of Area 51, is Rodlow Manor, which is still a super secret um, facility. And uh, so we went in there, we threw, threw the guardhouse, we were all sitting there, and I recognized, you know, there was, I think six of the guys of the eight were there. And then there's some more guys who obviously there's been another selection, um, both before and afterwards. So it was about 20, 20 of us, something like that. Um, and it was all about physical evaluations, you know, and, and mental evaluations. So there was no beasting, no nothing. You know, we we're all just normal civilian attire. Um, all we had to do a medical. It was like it was like you just some lab rat, you know, they were testing everything from reflexes. I'm looking at this form and it's got these what is pull hemes, you know, which we understand when you're in the military and they look at your eyes and blood pressure, literally just do everything. They were looking at my teeth. Uh, they checked my blood two or three times. Uh, and that was interesting as well because it, they took a lot of attention on my blood. 